My name is Ozzy Durak. I am the host of Ozbuzz. And Ozbuzz is a podcast slash video slash YouTube that prides itself on interviewing extraordinarily unique, successful people. And one of those people is here with me today. His name is Victor Adair. He's the author of the Trading Desk Notes. He's a long time stock market aficionado or worker in the stock market. I've had the privilege to be with Victor on a radio show for some 20 years. Welcome, Victor. Well, thank you, Oz. Uh, good, good to be on with you and uh, let's do this and, and have some fun. Agreed. I mean, you are, of course, uh, in, in your kind of work, you have to be very disciplined and I want to get back to that later. But that discipline, I think you learned on a farm. Uh, yes, I was, uh, I, I was born in Chilliwack. I grew up on a farm there. Also, uh, family uh, had farms in, uh, in Revelstoke, worked there. One of the things, uh, and people that have lived on a farm know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, there's work that's got to be done every day. Uh, you don't leave the cows alone, you know, on Christmas day and tell them, you know, you'll, you'll come by to, tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, you, you develop that kind of discipline. You know, now all these years later, I, I live in a small town on Vancouver Island. I moved here seven years ago, really, to get away from the big city. Uh, but uh, and I've, so I've been working from home, you know, for seven years. But uh, I probably work now as much, if not more, than ever. Uh, I think there might be a temptation for some folks to to slack off if you're working from home. You know, you can you can do other things. Uh, you know, you don't have, but. I start my day usually before five in the morning um, and uh, I'm still puttering away at nine o'clock at night to prepare before I go to bed. But I always make a point, Ozzy, of, of taking a couple hours off during the day to get outside, to go skiing, ride my bike, play golf, whatever. Uh, yeah, you have to have some bliss discipline in, in my line of work. Uh, just to be, and part of the discipline, Oz, honestly, is just to carry on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you run through a tough period where it seems like you can't do anything right. You just keep going. Well, and that's uh, that's a credit to you. And of course, you can say you go golfing. I mean, when people see me golf, they say I don't. You know, I mean, what are you doing? Right? I mean, you know, people really try to avoid golfing with me because you know I I am well. I have a lot of other talents. Let me put it this way. Or oh, as the former president said, that you know I know that I'm getting better. I'm hitting fewer spectators. Right? That's me. Anyhow, uh, you were uh, you also were working in Revelstoke, and I have my heart is in Kimberley, not too far, so I drive through Revelstoke a lot, and I love that mountain town. So, anyways, you're a BC boy. You know, very few people are actually born in BC that I interview. Seems to be we all come from somewhere else. But you didn't just stay here; you also went to Europe for a bit. Uh, that was well, Ozzy. Uh, I grew up in Chilliwack. I went to high school there. Um, you know, the things that I liked most in high school were history and uh, literature. <clears throat> I got a job working in a mining camp right out of high school for the summer. And this was off in the bush somewhere, uh, where you know we we would go in for twelve days at a time. You'd work twelve hours a day. There was nothing you could do there. Nothing you could spend money on. So it was just great for me. And over the course of five or six months, I saved up enough money uh, to, uh, to go to Europe and hitchhike around from Scotland down to Turkey and back again over about a six or seven month period. I mean, we're trying to live on 50 cents a day. 
<laughs> because uh, the, the longer your money lasted, the longer you could stay, you know, and, and you didn't have to go back home again. But uh, for the next few years, actually, I spent um, all my summers while I was going to university. I worked in mining camps. That's how I paid my, my fee to go to university. And uh, being in the mining camps, I kind of then, when I got out of university, and by the way, I wasn't doing mining in university. I was studying creative writing, uh, philosophy, uh, history especially, that sort of thing. That's what I like doing. But uh, when I left university, uh, I spent the next few years in the mining business. And uh, part of that is, uh, you know, it's in little places all around BC and the Yukon and back in Ontario. But I saw a lot of the American West and I just fell in love with it. The small towns all over, whether it was California or New Mexico, Idaho, you know, whatever. Uh, I really, uh, I mean, I traveled all over there. Ozzy, I gotta say most of the time, I, I didn't have like five bucks in my pocket. I, I don't know how I stayed alive, but I did. I looked at these properties that had been producing mines, you know, maybe a hundred years ago. And uh, that was very tough times in 1974, 75. The Dow Jones had fallen in half. Uh, we had a uh, NDP government in British Columbia that was not uh, keen on mining, that's for sure. And, um, but you know, you're, you're like a, a kid in his, I guess my late 20s or so by that time and you know, life's an adventure. So it was, it was great to, to see all that country in the American West. That gives you a good background then to become a stockbroker if you actually know what you're talking about. This is what a mine looks like. This is how, what, what people are looking for. And that gives you a better idea, I think, to make decisions for yourself and your clients because you were a stockbroker and uh, you held a number of trading and analytical and senior management roles in Canada and the United States. So that, that travels through the American West uh, helped you. Well, I, I tell you, um, I was mostly looking at gold mines back in those days. And the price of gold was starting to lift off of the, the fixed level that had been at it years. And uh, I was so fascinated with gold. I, uh, with a couple of other guys, I started a, a gold trading company. Basically, we were selling gold. And I used to walk around with a little two ounce wafer of gold in my pocket all the time and say to people, you should buy gold. And those were the days when it was like $100 an ounce. And that led me inevitably, or maybe got me the opening to become a commodities broker in 1977. And then a few years later, I became a, a stockbroker as well. But most of the work that I did, most of the, in, in business, in the brokerage business, I was mostly a commodities broker. Working out of Vancouver most of the time, I managed an office in San Diego for a while. I also was in Toronto for a year uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I've been primarily a commodities broker. That means, you know, commodities, but also interest rate stock indices and particularly for me, uh, currencies. I've been, a, I've been a big fan or big part of my business over the years has been trading currencies. Well, and I think you saved my bacon. You know, I'm sort of on the other side of the spectrum. I love hard assets, but my hard asset of choice is real estate. And we were very blessed to invest in the United States. And I believe about four years ago, I had a, what for me was a substantial amount of American dollars and I was going to change them. Then I had a talk with you and you said, no, 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 no. The US dollar is the place to be. And I remember I made you a little doll uh, and I, I called it my Victor doll on my desk. And every morning I said, thank you, Victor, thank you. Now uh, we want to get to what the dollar is going to do shortly as well. But I think you, 
what always impressed me is if you were wrong, you said this didn't work for me. I got out of that trade. But I, as I am 20 years, I think we've been on the radio together and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sitting on the sideline, not understanding how you can function in one day in and out of the market like this. You know, I mean, I, 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 it would be very uh, problematic for me, but I'm full of admiration. And when I, when I look more often than not, your idea of the trend the market was going in, what worries you, what concerned you, or the absolute common sense advice in terms of, you know, maybe putting stop loss on and so on. I always felt you had a, well, almost a pre-scient view of the, of the market. You know, Ozzy, I, I was in the brokerage business for more than 40 years. Uh, I, I worked as um, like somebody's broker. I've been a manager, an analyst, uh, a portfolio manager as well. But I'd say some of the things that I learned that I apply now to my own trading. I mean, here's, here's a line that I used many, many times when I spoke at conferences. And that was, I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people lose millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I thought to myself, what is it that they do that I am not going to do? And I would say the most common thing really is people hate taking a loss. They buy something, it's going down, and they come up with all kinds of excuses as to why get out of it. You know, oh, I, uh, I, I heard from so-and-so it's going up you know, or oh, we just got to give this a little more time and I'm sure it's going to turn around. All kinds, as I would say, you wouldn't believe the ridiculous things I've heard grown men say <laughs> when it comes to that issue. So I, I tell you, I, 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 never, I never get into a market without having a really good reason. But the first thing I'm looking at is where do I know I'm wrong? I'm not trying to figure out how much money can I make on this, although I have to think, you know, it's going to go or what's the point. But uh, yeah, my first consideration is where, where am I going to know I'm wrong? Where am I going to get out? And does that make sense within the context of the market as opposed to I'm just picking a dollar amount? So what that would also mean then, if a market, let's say I want to buy a market, but it's kind of running up already, I might go, yeah, gee. If I buy it here, then I've got to risk this much money before I know I'm wrong. I'm not comfortable with missing that much money, losing that much money rather. Okay, I'll just pass on the trade. I just won't do it. Another dear friend of mine that I worked with for a number of years, one of his expressions was, you know, there's a rumor going around that the markets are going to be open again next week. <laughs> you know, you'll have another opportunity. So, so what that means, Oz, really, is if it's not the right time to buy it, leave it alone. So for me, I would say that one more thing before I ramble on too far. Managing the risk of where I get into a market, where I get out, to me, is much more important than coming up with the sort of the brainwave about what market to get into in the first place. Well, and that, that takes discipline, right? And it has to be doing the ability to take a loss and, and walk or, or to just simply, I'm not going into this trade, I'm not comfortable and then see it go up anyways, it doesn't matter because you, that's what you decide to do. In the real estate world, yes, I have my basics. I'm essentially a cash kind of guy. I like to, myself and my investors, we like income. 
And somebody will always tell me, you should go in this market, it's, it's about to go up. And there's no such thing as a real estate market. There's condos, there's, there's houses, there's, there's townhouses, there's commercial and so on. And then there's the different kind of people that are in these markets. Uh, right now, maybe in some areas in, in, in uh, Vancouver and Toronto, condos are actually going down. And at the same time, the market overall may be up 15%. But how much more than in the stock market where you have thousands of stocks and, and different kind of market niches? I mean, you worked in this business for, should I say how long? Um, a long time, <laughs> 44 years, my goodness gracious. And what you yeah. learned just now is that you, you have to uh, be in charge of yourself, I assume. But how do you pick what market do you want to be in? Is it just gold? Uh, I'll look at a lot of different markets. Um, from my perspective, I'm going to look at currencies. I'm going to look at interest rates, uh, equity markets, and commodity markets. I'm particularly keen, Aussie, in what I call intermarket relationships. In other words, I used to describe it this way. You know, the, the old thing, if you want to communicate with people, tell a story. So it would go like this. Picture, you know, the, the trading floors in Chicago in the old days. You've got hundreds and hundreds of people on the floors. And the guys, you know, waving their arms around, screaming, and do this and do that. But every one of them is turning around and looking over his shoulder from time to time to see what's going on in the other markets. Yeah. Okay? I mean, if, the, if you're, let's say, trading gold and all of a sudden something starts happening in the currency market, you don't want to be the last guy to know. Okay? So all of these markets kind of interrelate with each other like this. So that's very keen to me now. I, I have noticed this is that the relationships seem to like, like the Canadian dollar this summer, when I would watch it short term on my screen, it would go up or down a couple of ticks, absolutely in lockstep with what was happening in the American stock market. On a longer term time frame, the Canadian dollar is very highly correlated to commodity markets. When interest rates were much higher, this, the spread between Canadian interest rates and American interest rates was very important. If Canada got down to, it was about the same interest rate as the States, the Canadian dollar would weaken. So you see these kinds of intermarket relationships. And what I'm really keen on is when suddenly it stops working. You say, oh, wh why did that happen? So you're always asking these why questions. Well, what, what about that? And uh, a lot of the time, it's like you wasted time. You did all this research or homework, digging around about something and go, yeah, nothing there. It's almost like the, like the mining business. When guys would go out looking for gold, most of them never found any. Okay. <laughs> but you got to go look anyway. Yeah. And every once in a while you do find some that makes up for all. And it's like, I think in trades, if you do 10 trades and two are really successful and eight are not, well, that's what, that's what you have to expect that things change, right? Yeah, for sure. The, um, I mean, the, we, we can go into so many directions here, but you know, I started this new website when I left the brokerage business and, um, I, I still wanted to keep writing about markets because I've been doing that for more than 40 years and I have, a, and it's, but it wasn't, I didn't want to just write about, although I think the gold's going up or the Canadian dollars going down. I also wanted to kind of get in there and write about how, if, for, for my readers, maybe they could learn something. I'm not going to say, you know, do it my way or because or, or, I've got the right answer. But if somebody would be reading my website, they might get an idea. 
they might get an idea about, oh, I could buy this or sell that. I'm not in, I'm not trying to do that so much as to talk about, you know, how to trade. Yeah. And again, it's not a, a lesson that this, this is what I do. And, um, Anyway, RC, that, that's been kind of the purpose of the website. It's kind of going that way. My golden rule with the website is it's always a work in progress. You know, it's never going to be perfect. You just kind of keep going and, 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 and do what you can. Well, it's, I should mention, it's victoradea.ca, but it's victoradea, A-D-A-I-R.ca. I think you're doing a great job. I love your trading notes every Friday. I told Victor, and I say this to my listeners uh, very sincerely, you should charge for the information. I mean, the time, the work that's going into every, everything that you talk about and the, the conclusions you come to, it's highly educational. Everybody should do it for any reason, but if you're in the trading business, it's a must read, victoradare.ca and, and subscribe to it, no question about it. Okay, let me ask you this. We had interest rates at historic lows. We, Stock markets, all-time highs. Gold hit new highs and then it didn't. Bitcoin is going bananas. What do you think about the current state of affairs? Ozzy, um, I'll tell you what. Here's the easiest way to explain it. Uh, the, the environment we're in right now, and let me, let me put a little, define that a little better. I'm very, very interested in what I call market psychology, okay? Uh, and that would be how like the, the herd or the mob is doing. And right now, I think it reminds me very much of 1999 during the dot-com boom. When anybody that, that opened a brokerage account, and, and by the way, we've had millions of new brokerage accounts opened this year. Now, part of that was people were at home because of the virus, you know, and they, let's do something, let's trade stocks, and it looks like an easy way to make money. Um, but uh, yeah, you just had that, that in 1999, I remember the, we still had the Vancouver Stock Exchange in those days. And I saw a chart and every one of the, like it used to be uh, XYZ Mining Company. Well, they changed their name to xyzminingcompany.com, you know, and their share price doubled, okay? So there was that, that kind of, you could buy anything and it was gonna go up. And I remember seeing the chart of the Vancouver Stock Exchange and I think it went up every day that year. Yeah. You know, there was that, that kind of relentless enthusiasm. The NASDAQ stock index in the last nine months, let's say from about the summer of 99 to March of 2000, when it, it when it topped out and turned went down, it doubled in that last nine months. Wouldn't you know it? In the last nine months here, the major stock indices in the United States have doubled from the lows we had in the virus panic. Okay, in March of this year, uh, you know we've had Tesla, which I think is a bit of a poster child for the market, is up ten times what it was a year ago now. You know, so we've had some. I think there's a bit of a fever in the market. You're asking me, you know, what's, what do I really think is going on? I think there's a bit of a fever going on here where, you know, that what we used to consider were important facts don't matter anymore. What matters is momentum. And the, believe me, I, the market could double from here, get even crazier. But I think a lot of people forget, you know, because it's uh, been a bull market for, you know, 400 years or whatever, you know, the people that are trying to enroll you in, 
and believing it's a bull markets go on forever, but it's certainly been a bull market for 40 years. And the key event was uh, 40 years ago, interest rates were the highest they've been in hundreds of years. And since then, for 40 years, interest rates have been trending lower and the stock market has been trending higher. And believe me, I mentioned earlier about intermarket relationships. Those two things were like that. The reason the stock market was going up as much as it did was because interest rates were going down as much as they did. So we've got interest rates at zero. I mean, maybe they keep going lower and get deeper negative. But I think the stock market here, let me say this, that, that top in March of 2000 that I talked about in the NASDAQ in particular, a lot of folks forget that within the next two years, the stock market had fallen in half. Then it rallied back up to the, the, the regular stock, the, the S&P 500 rallied back up to where it had been. And then it fell in half again, actually fell in half by, by more than in half when we had the, the break in 2007, 2008. So now we are miles above where we were then and interest rates are miles below where they were then. Maybe I'm going over the top here, Ozzy. Uh, what my message has been to on my website, and I'm, it's not evangelical, it's just pointing out that there's probably more risks in this market right now than folks that are uh, new to the trading game appreciate. And I'm just saying, if you're gonna be in this market here, you heard me say earlier that risk management is way more important to me than figuring out what to buy or sell. Believe me, you want to make money over time. The, the only way to do it is to really manage the risk you're taking, know your risks, and how you manage your risk is what kind of a size you put on of a trade, you know, how aggressive you are, all, all that sort of thing. There's all, a lot of ways to manage risk, but managing risk is really, really key. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, I, I, I think Tesla, still doesn't sell as many cars as General Motors and is worth uh, a heck of a lot more than, than those corporations. So it, from an outsider, it's, it's almost mind boggling. And then millions of new accounts. And if they, they're in and if they get hurt, are they all gonna leave at the same time too? So uh, that's why I say you have the, the honor of having some white hair because you have to face these questions every single day, right? But listen, you wrote an interesting essay on Michael Campbell's uh, Inside Edge service, where you say commodities are now the cheapest they've been in a hundred years relative to stocks. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, we have uh, different indices in the stock market. Everybody's heard about the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the Dow Jones Transports or the S&P 500. So that's what I call stock market indices. We also have indices in the commodity market. And one of the oldest ones is the Commodity Research Bureau, but their Bloomberg has one, Goldman Sachs has one. But when you plot these indices, that is the case. That's where we're at now. The stock market has gone up so far, so fast. I mean, it, it, the commodities could have been standing still. And you know, the, the, the spread would have widened. But we had the last commodity boom started in 2002 and it ran basically to 2011. And there were two things that were really key to that. One was that China was buying everything that wasn't nailed down. Two, the US dollar was weakening. 
And those two things together, and of course, then the commodity market developed the momentum, just like the stock market has now. I will tell you, I remember at $140 a barrel crude oil, there was a very famous analyst in Canada who was the chief guy for one of the major Canadian banks. And he was pounding the table saying it's going to two or $300 a barrel. You need to have somebody talking that way when the market is at the top or otherwise it wouldn't be at the top. Okay. <laughs> so just the same as now you have people saying it's going to the moon. Right. Of course, nobody's going to buy the stock market here if they don't think it's going up a lot more. All right. So you have these different indices and commodities have been in the doghouse and stocks have gone to the moon. And I think the difference between those things is going to narrow. Now it could be that commodities don't go anywhere and the stocks just come down and that would, that would change the ratio. But yes, commodities now relative to stocks and we use the indices to the measure are as cheap as they've been in a long, long, long time. Well, so, okay. I wouldn't, I can't let you go away with zeroing in a little bit. What about gold? I mean, it was up over, over 2000 now, it's back in the 1800s. And what do you see uh, uh, happening in gold? Ozzy, uh, I've been involved. We talked earlier when I was in the mining business and then I started a precious metal trading company. I've been, I've been trading gold in one form or another for the better part of 50 years. I have financed some gold mining companies. Uh, I peddled uh, bars of gold, used to walk around with a bar of gold in my pocket. Silver, the same thing. I sold thousands of ounces of silver back in the early days. I've traded uh, futures markets in, in gold uh, and silver for 40 years. Um, where we are right now, this past summer, uh, maybe a little, well, since March until August, the price of gold jumped uh, to new all-time highs, but it jumped about $600. The main reason the gold went up was because there was uh, unprecedented buying of gold ETFs in the United States and in Europe, in the rest of the world, but the rest of the world didn't matter if you take the United States and Europe out. And why that was really important, because at the same time, the two biggest markets for people buying gold, at least over the past several years, have been India and China. And the retail clients over there weren't buying. So the gold market really needed this buying from the ETF crowd. Lately, and by lately, I mean the past mm, month or two, some of the ETF people have been selling their gold. And in a way, I think the thinking is, hey, if you can make a $1,000 a minute in Tesla, who needs gold? You know, <laughs> so it's like, and there's also the stories about people saying, who needs gold? I'm into Bitcoin. Well, yeah. I'm not into Bitcoin I, I, and I'm not slagging it. I just, I don't trade that market. I try to trade things that I think I know something about. The gold market right here has come down a couple of hundred bucks. It's, it's a little odd. There's two things that over the past number of years have been really important to gold prices generally. One is the relative strength or weakness of the US dollar. When the US dollar is weak, gold usually goes up and vice versa. The past few years and particularly the past two years, a really important uh, correlation for gold has been interest rates. And as interest rates have become more negative, 
And by negative, this is called real rates. What you do is you take the, the bond yield, subtract out the inflation, and you come up with a number. That's why we hear now there's $18 trillion worth of negative yielding debt in the world. That's what I mean. So when interest rates are going below zero, that's usually really good for gold. And in the past three months or so here, we've had a weaker dollar. We've had interest rates quite negative and getting more negative. And it hasn't really given the gold market a lift. So, you know, I talked earlier about these correlations between markets and, and I go, why is that? What's going on? And I think it's part of this, if, just to put it in the vernacular, it's kind of like, who needs gold is the attitude. It reminds me of that old mad magazine, you know, what? Me worry, you know, you don't need gold, just put everything in a Tesla. You know? So there's some of that. I think the gold market, particularly if the commodity market starts to rise, I, I think gold, you know, if you just bought some gold here and you couldn't touch it for five years, it would probably be higher. I, I don't trade that way, but the, some of the things that I see coming in the world, whether it's political uncertainty, the possibility of having you know, all this debt and how are we going to deal with it, whether we go to modern monetary theory or whatever. I think there's going to be some real demand for a real asset like gold. And I'm, I'm not a gold bug. I, I can be short gold or long gold. But I, I think that, you know, for the next few years, the gold price is probably going to go higher. Well, it's interesting. You sort of went by the quickly by Bitcoin. There are some, of course, that feel that Bitcoin is the answer. And of course, Bitcoin also dropped 50% a couple of times in the last 10 years. So uh, a gamble indeed. But they, they are out there foreseeing a terrible world happening. It's all planned and uh, you're going to have digital, all, all money is digital and so on. What do you think about Bitcoin then? Ozzy, I have never traded it. Um, I remember early days, uh, you'd see that uh, somebody had some Bitcoin somewhere and it just disappeared. Yeah, oh yeah. In Vancouver, $108 million. The guy died and nobody could find the password. Hello. So yeah, things like that, it would make me a little nervous. Like again, I say, I, I need to know what my risk is. And if I bought something and it just disappeared, I go, how do you, how do you hedge that? So, so I, and I also just, I guess the thing is, I maybe I got uh, not so much turned off. I just, I was busy with other stuff. Ozzy, you know, there's way, way more things that I, that I don't trade than what I do trade. And, and Bitcoin's just one of those things I don't trade. Uh, maybe some folks that are keen on it would say, well, he's a dinosaur. Okay, maybe I am. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I've got a basket full of things as it is with currencies and interest rates, stock indices. I mean, I can trade combinations of things in the crude oil market and be very comfortable doing that. But uh, as I say, a lot of things I haven't traded, don't trade Bitcoin, don't have an opinion, don't know. Well, we both have the privilege to be on the Michael Campbell World Outlook Conference uh, coming up on February the 5th. And uh, you always, you have chaired it, uh, you have made speeches at it, and I always take furious notes because you seem to have a very measured approach to how you see the future. And so maybe in the last couple of minutes, you can tell me your crystal ball as to exactly what's going to happen next year to the Canadian dollar, the US dollar, the stock markets. <laughs> oh, I can't tell you that, Ozzy. That's, uh, that's behind the paywall on my site if you're not a subscriber. <laughs> 
folks, I have no paywall on my site. I'll answer that quickly about that. Um, yeah, I do do a lot of work to prepare what I write and I don't charge for it. And, um, you know, also been doing the radio for years and I don't get paid to do that. But you know, when I, when I have to make my notes and, and put them out there and I want them to be coherent and to make some sense, it does make me think about what, what do I believe? You know, what, what do I think is actually happening? So it's actually good part of that discipline that you refer to, to just, to just do that. In terms of what I think is going to happen, um, he, here's how I trade. I, I trade in terms of what I think might happen as opposed to what I think should happen. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, politically, I'm probably a libertarian. Uh, I think people should be responsible adults and do right by each other. I mean, I'm not naive. I know there are criminals in the world. Uh, I have met some pathological liars and sociopaths. Uh, they're, they're, they're interesting people, but I wouldn't want to do any business with them. Uh, so I'm not naive about that, but the, just so for instance, and this is important. Um, I think as the world becomes increasingly urbanized, it becomes increasingly socialized. And by, I mean, socialism as opposed to libertarianism. I think as the world is increasingly urbanized, people look to the government to do more and more and more. Yes. People that get elected, get elected because the people that voted for them here, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to spend somebody else's money for you. Yeah. Easy to I, <laughs> yeah, I don't agree with that, Ozzy, but I think that's where we're going. I think it's, we're going in that direction. So there's going to be more government in your life than, than otherwise. I think people will still be, uh, you know, I'll take a segue. You know, my heroes are are entrepreneurs, but at the same time, my heroes some of some of my heroes would be really good writers. Mm -hmm. You know, people who do the right thing and nobody ever knows. You know, that sort of thing. It doesn't have to be Steve Jobs, somebody who right. is famous. Uh, I think one of the things in my career that you'll learn is to judge character, and you know, to pick out people that you can trust. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would, I used to get people who would come up to me at conferences and say, could you recommend a, a broker? What should I look for in a broker? And I say, what you want to look for, I think, is somebody that you can get along with. Mm -hmm. Somebody you think values your business. And I know somebody you think is listening to you when he talks. He's not just going through the motions. And he's probably not going to be the first guy you meet. You probably got to hunt around a little bit, you know, get recommendations from your friends, that kind of thing. I got away from your question. You're asking, you know, what's going to happen in the future. Um, short term here for me, short term is, you know, maybe the next few months. I, I think this, uh, this, it reminds me of dot-com bubble uh, situation. I think we'll probably have some kind of a, a break in the market that may cause a few people to catch their breath and go, wow, didn't see that coming. Uh, so I would, I'm inclined, I'm, I mean, I'm always inclined to be cautious in terms of managing my risk, but I'd be extra cautious these days. That doesn't mean I'm gonna stop trading. And if the market breaks, it's also a trading opportunity for me. But you know, we've had, this virus has turned the world upside down a lot. 
I, I talked to Mike the other day. I was saying, I think this has been the biggest disruptor on a social level, a political level, and an economic level that we've ever seen. It's, it's really changing the world. Uh, I think that's gonna be uncomfortable, but change is always uncomfortable for some folks, but there's also, as, it, as the old Chinese saying is, you know, uh, change and opportunity uh, are, are, are the same word, right? So- well, yeah. Of course, the, the, that's all that background will impact what the US dollar is gonna do or the Canadian dollar is gonna do it's the political environment, it's our expectations, and the fact that we seem to have decoupled at the upper end, we're actually doing much better than we did. We have more savings than ever. We're buying real estate at the lower end. We're doing a little worse than we ever did. They don't recover. So it's a kind of a recession that is very unique in that we are, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we are not really going down. I mean, in all other recessions of the past, there was a marked collapse in everything, not this time. The real estate is almost the same. And the stock market is, is rising like crazy. Well, there's been a lot more money injected into the system. But on that issue of savings, I've got, again, I tell you, I pay attention to psychology. I wonder if, and, and, and people aren't monolithic. I mean, we've got the baby boom generation. Now the millennials apparently are, are there's more millennials now than baby boomers as we start to die off. And there's this thought that in demographics that the millennials are now going to, do what the baby boomers did 30, 40 years ago. In other words, you know, go out and buy houses, spend money, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if there hasn't been a little bit of a wake up call, even at the subconscious level, where people are saying, you know, we, we, we don't need that thing. Let's just hang on to the money. Who knows what's gonna happen? Maybe we ought to just uh, kind of, you know, have a little more food in the pantry, this and that, however, you however that manifests in your life. But when I hear the savings rate go up, what I'm thinking is, yeah, people are saying, hey, I don't want to be spending every cent I got and everything's about the monthly payment and I got no cushion. So that's, that's have, one thought on it. And some of them have felt it, you know, that all of a sudden, what, we don't even have enough money for the next two weeks, we're going to make a change, right? Exactly. Mental saying we're going to head into a window, Benjamin Saul is with CIBC, he says we're going to head still into a dark winter. We have to get through still some troubled times, but he feels that the second half of next year is gonna be better. What do you think? We're gonna be better eventually? Uh, Ozzy, I sure hope so. I mean, I am a glass half full kind of a guy. I can always see, you know, the brighter picture, but um, I've done some writing on this and believe me, I, I read a lot of research and a lot of the message I see out there is exactly what you were just saying. And I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down, okay? But I hear a lot of folks say, don't worry about the temporary troubles here. Yeah, there's people getting laid off and there's businesses are failing and some of the forbearance that's been happening, or, you know, people are gonna get called, they gotta pay the rent now, they gotta do this and so on. Uh, but just, just look ahead. Don't worry about the short term, look ahead and everything's gonna be fine. I, I think, I think people have looked ahead and that's why they've run the stock market up as much as they have in the past couple of months, particularly since the end of October and particularly since the, the vaccine news came out. I mean, the Dow Jones in the overnight market, when they announced that Pfizer made the initial announcement, I think we jumped something like 2000 points like that, you know? So a lot of that looking ahead to the rosy future is priced in. 
It's already, the market discounts that. So and that's how I think I've been kind of trading that way uh, lately and small size, making bets that the market's just a little too uh, full of itself. And uh, I've, I've been losing a little money, nothing, you know, nothing in big size, but I've been betting against that. What I would think uh, is just a bit of a too over the top bullishness. Well, and then that's, that's what makes the world go around is, is to, you know, put your chips on the table and, and, and play the game. I mean, when people ask me about real estate, did I forecast this tremendous turnaround? I honestly didn't. I do, do believe long-term because of all the money we're printing, we will have higher prices, but I did not expect that to be within two months of the downturn. And so here we have a world that is different. It's upside down. People go out of town. They want to, they've learned the old guy turn on the computer. Oh, that means if I push this button, the, the stuff is here tomorrow morning. Somebody delivers it, right? Maybe I should go to Parksville. Maybe I should. I mean, Vancouver Island sales are up 70%. In November, 70. In Powell River, 200%. I mean, you know, it's not just the downtowns. In the United States, Redfin reports that they have over 50% of the deals their agents do countrywide are higher than the asking price. And they're all in a bit, bit situation. So it's sort of a not, it's just everybody's out there maybe getting a little safe, being a little scared. And and uh, that's why you get the big money. I should mention though, that you don't get the big money for your new setup, which I think you should because of all the work you're doing in it. But people should really go to your website. It's a new website, it's victoradair.ca, not .com, .ca, and read your stuff. I think if they did nothing else, but on a Friday, read your trading notes, they would get a heck of a lot more educated about the stock market and the world as you see it. And I want to thank you very much for joining me here today and uh, talking to me and, and sharing your accumulated pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Ozzy, you and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, it was my pleasure to be part of your show. And thank you, sincerely, thank you for having me on. It was, it was great fun too. Thanks for coming. Take care, Victor. You bet. You too, Ozzy.